Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. My name is Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. Hey, I'm Eugenio Cafiero. I'm the CEO of Bear Flag Robotics, which was recently acquired by John Deere in late 2021. Congratulations on the acquisition, first of all. Um, belated welcome to the John Deere family. I'm sure. I'm sure they refer to themselves as the John Deere family because <laughs> you know they it's, are it's, and it's they not, do. Yeah, yeah. It's not one of those cold organizations like Light Reading where we all just kind of you know we get a we get a new member in the team and we just kind of fold our arms and put out our cigarettes and be like, ah, eh, whatever, <laughs> dude. You know that kind of thing. Um, but that you know, it's, it's journalists are a hard group. Um, uh, anyway, uh, uh, I guess the starting point for us, uh, especially for our audience, is to talk a little bit about um, you know your background and now your your role, uh, well, your role at Bear Flag Robotics and now your role at uh, at John Deere. Yeah. Well, absolutely, Phil. Once again, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled thrilled to be here and to be talking. So. Just, you know, from the very beginning, Bear Flag Robotics built and builds autonomous technology for farm tractors. So as a startup, we had no interest in building the tractors themselves. We used the finest tractors in the world, the green ones, the John Deere ones. Um, but we built a technology that went on top of it. Um, so, um, you know, we would procure the machines from customers, rental fleets, um, you know, dealerships, add the sensors compute necessary to make those autonomous and then deploy them to growers. Um, we were operating as a service, which allowed us to be on the field, learning the lessons um, and really delivering value to growers at the same time. Um, what are, are some of the connectivity needs um, to make the autonomous tractors work and, and what kind of sensors are on there? What are you, what are you picking up on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, these are heavily connected devices, of course. Um, <clears throat> so the, the the technology stack and, um, you know, really the the specifics and the details have, um, you know, been adapted as we come into the Deer family. Um, but, but the same sort of theory of operation is the same. You have these sensors and, um, you know, we use cameras and radars and LIDARs and they connect to onboard compute which makes a lot of the real-time decisions about you know, when to turn and when to stop and what's going on around the machine. But then that device is connected um, through a modem to the cloud, and then that cloud fans out um, to anybody that wants to command and control or query that machine. And there's a whole protocol there as well, of course. But that connectivity part is super crucial, right? Understanding not only what's going on in real time with that tractor, but then offline afterwards as well, getting the data and the agronomic information that that tractor has gleaned from the operation to the farmer to make better decisions about how to farm in the future. That's such a such a instrumental and key part to what we do. So not only is it the real-time information, but it's also the data backhaul as well. Okay. And can you talk more about um, the, the data analytics piece? Sounds really interesting. Um, and, and you mentioned that that can then inform them for, for future farming decisions. So what does that look like? Does it help them with uh, you know, where to plant certain crops, um, when to do so, what what kind of information are they getting at, and, and then how are they using it to uh, farm better? Right. So today, this is mostly around the operation itself. So as a grower, how do I have confidence that the machine is doing what it says it's doing when it says it's doing it, right? 
And we put considerable amount of engineering effort into that guarantee of service. Um, and that's that's really, you know, a, a large part of the technical lift right now. How how do we make tractors run as well and as safe as humans operate them, right? The cool part, Kelsey, which like you, you latched onto immediately, um, is really how can this help growers in a macro sense, you know, not not in a day to day helping them with their operations, but how can we farm smarter? How can we, you know, grow more with fewer resources um, in you know f- fewer acres and, and less available time, right? With weather pressures and all sorts of things that come in um, to to challenge growers in, in increasing their yield. How can we make more informed decisions there? Um, and that's really what what the you know the the advantage of of um, these sensors um, and the insights they're gleaning from the operation. Yeah, it seems like a. It's interesting that uh, you know farming and growing has been a data become a data driven business. Um, uh, actually, maybe not surprising given the fact that uh, you know that the the weather extremes have become so pronounced lately that uh, it it you know that it seems like they would want to take advantage of every um, every available bit of data they could, you know, to to. Uh, uh, to not only improve their yields, but also to just keep consistency going, because that's that's that that seems like that's one um, area that's that's maybe something that uh, has has gone out of whack lately. Um, uh, oh, without a doubt, that, that that was just me talking. I don't actually have a question there, boy. This is I'm I'm really not good at podcasting, but I do have uh, <laughs> but- I do have a question on the back of that, which is. Uh, uh, well, first of all, it, it, maybe my question is. Uh, is my assumption correct? And then my second question is um, how autonomous actually are the tractors? Because I think, yeah. I think we all think of different things when we think of, uh, you know, any kind of autonomous vehicle is the, uh, you know, is, is the uh, uh, operator just sitting in bed with an iPad or <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is how I would run my operation. Right, so so they've do got not, nothing do else not to do. That down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or are they, uh, uh, you know, maybe more actively out in the field? Go ahead, <laughs> Phil. I love that analogy. It's the one I, it's the one I use to sort of talk about what farming's not like. Um, is exactly that, right? So, yeah, this is um, you're wrong. For I mean, that. Not good at podcasting, not good at farming. Let's let's just start right there. <laughs> we good, man. Um, no, I mean the important insight here, right, is the tractor is a tool. Um, but it's really um, the insights in the brain of the farmer. Like the tool delivers value to the farmer to run their operation as they want to do it. And an autonomous tractor um, levels that farmer up, and so they can do more. They can. They don't need to sit in the cab. They can remotely um, monitor the operation as they care to. But I mean, a farm is a complicated system of many things that happen happen at once, and very often several of those things are going wrong at the same time and the you know what an autonomous tractor today endeavors to do is you know give that farmer the time back to go work on other parts of that system other parts of that operation that need the farmer's care and attention um you know you say autonomous tractor and some folks think robocop um you know we'll get there that is you know that is the vision but we're not there yet um and frankly it's it's a long way to go um, what the autonomous tractor does do today is help um, in very specific ways under the guidance of a farmer running their entire operation. Mm-hmm. 
Are they, um, can they apply um, some of the technological advancements that you've made with the autonomous tractor to other equipment or other operations um, on the farm? What, uh, what do you envision uh, for the future? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just coming back to connectivity, right? And so when you have this tractor that's a sophisticated, basically, um, farming computer, um, right, that has a tremendous amount of compute and bleeding edge sensors, the ability to have that connect to the internet where you can, you know, push updates and functionality um, and, you know, patches or, um, you know, new software um, paradigms and inventions to that tractor um, at any time. That's 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 fantastic. It opens up not only the realm of possibilities, but also the pace at which we can achieve them, right? So, um, you know, and that's that comes back to the connectivity, right? Like why it's so important to have things like rural broadband, why we need to be investing in satellite technology, um, just um, moving away from these uh, this idea that a tractor is something that you buy um, and then it you know it sits there and depreciates in your lot until until you're ready to buy the next one. This is this is a tool with um, intelligence that will be able to adapt. Um, you know, to changing constraints and requirements and be upgraded over time, um, which is super exciting. And then, Kelsey, to your point, like, believe me, like, you can't you can't tease a connected farm and the implications there without me biting on that too. Um, really, it's it's not hard to imagine what a connected system looks like as well, where you have your tractor talking to your sprayer, talking to your combine, talking to your semi trucks, um, talking to your sensors in the field. Um, where everything works in concert with each other to deliver better farming outcomes. Like once again, once again, like it's it's easy to get caught up in this, um, you know, technology for technology's sake. This is incredible bleeding edge technology. We have the finest engineers in the world solving these problems, but it's not technology for technology's sake. It's for higher purpose, right? It's delivering value to the farmer. It's what can we take the technology that exists today and apply it to help farming outcomes to help. Um, you know, provide fuel, fiber, and food to the world. That's that's why we're here, and that's 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 at the root of what we do. How connected up are um, other uh, entities in the farm these days? Um, you know, so obviously you're you're taking care of the 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 tractor that part. Um, are there similar solutions, and do they have ways of of you know linking together that data? Yeah, Phil, it's a continuum. Right. And you'll see different levels of connectivity and sort of, um, you know, technical, um, God, what, what would be the word here? The technical savviness um, mm-hmm. or technical adoption levels in different, in different crops and different regions. Right. Some, some have adopted precision ag uh, more readily than others. And where they have, these are heavily connected farms. Folks, folks, um, folks know a lot of what's going on from their screen. Um, and so, so we're well there. There's certainly a large coastline of opportunity, um, and that's what we're excited about too. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just kind of thinking of thinking it through once you had sort of uh, talked a little bit about that future vision. It's just this idea of like, you know, I wonder um, if there's time sensitivity to some of this, and you know, if that improves, uh, you know, as 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 more of these devices get joined up. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um, of the many things farming is, it is a, it is a, a, a timing game as well. How, how long can you wait and then get in the field and get everything done um, in one atomic operation? You know, if there were a magic wand and 
all my acres could be planted or all my acres could be sprayed or all my acres could be harvested right now. Um, that would be, that would be ideal. Obviously we live in a real world and these things, you know, take mm -hmm. days and, and weeks to accomplish. And so there's this always, what's the latest I can start if I'm looking at the weather and I'm predicting when I think I can be done and I'm not going to get chased out of the field by a storm. Um, there's a, there's a lot of that. And so connectivity helps with that. How can we understand what's going on? How can we get a real time update to what's going on in the field um, to help that operation? What are the um, uh, oh Kelsey? I, I have one one more quick one, and then I'll then I'll, then I'll yeah, shut up. Sure. Um, what are the uh, the the connectivity needs and constraints right now uh, with that you know that you've been dealing with? And you know, on our side, we you know we're um, just always you know thinking and talking about the five G network and watching that network evolution and kind of how things are getting built out and that sort of thing. It occurs to me, of course, that you know. There are certain business needs that may or may not need the kind of hyper aggressive connectivity that you know, and and la low latency things. But you know, but I, uh, but my, uh, uh, but but I'm kind of ignorant of, of what in the you know in the in the network stack or in the robotics stack, um, you know how how a lot of that works. So there might actually be some latency demands there. So what's the what's the scenario like uh, with what you're working with now? Oh, without a doubt, right? Um, listen, Phil, you'll be hard pressed to get me say that there's an upper bound of the bandwidth that we would, you know, want or be able to use, right? There's always new use cases. In the early days, we we developed a lot of technology to really adapt to what we had, right? So one of the one of the huge, um, you know, bandwidth consumers is live video. So we have 360 degree live video. Um, we played a lot of games there with compression algorithms so that when you um, went through um, poor reception areas, we would degrade the video quality um, so we could maintain latency, but um, we'd compromise resolution, you know, for example, right, to get smoothness. Um, you know, as, as bandwidth becomes more readily available, those algorithms will become obsolete, but then we can replace them with more data backhaul, more richness of information, more video channels, um, higher resolution, all these things to help um, you know, in the moment, one of the cool features, you know, that we've, um, you know, not to show our hand too much, but we've certainly tested is, um, you know, or, you know, over the internet teleoperations. So how can you move a tractor from field to field um, across, you know, private private roads? Of course, not public roads, but oftentimes you'll have fields um, that have a, you know, a, a road or a canal between them um, on your property, and you'll want the the tractor to finish and then jump on. Um, jump on the interface, beat your smartphone or your tablet or whatnot, and guide that tractor to the next field. That requires a tremendous amount of high bandwidth, low latency um, uh, data, um, and certainly a killer use case for more data. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess anything with uh, anything with steering or guiding, uh, you know, any kind of vehicle or uh, uh, or or anything in real time is going to be a, a a latency issue for sure. Um, uh, Kelsey, over to you. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. You kind of asked my question, Phil, but that's oh. okay. <laughs> I was also wondering, uh, just from a sustainability standpoint, um, does, uh, your technology also help farmers, um, with, um, planning out how to maybe farm more sustainably in the future? And also, are you looking at retrofitting maybe um, some electric vehicles um, that, you know, electric equipment that would be used on the farm as well? The answer is yes, and absolutely yes. Um, 
you know, one of the key insights here is the more information we can glean about the field and then link that to yields, we can help growers uh, make more, um, you know, nuanced decisions about chemical application or the amount uh, or number of tillage passes they make um, or any other, um, you know, any other thing, you know, often, oftentimes, you know, growers are exceedingly conservative um, and it makes sense to, you know, uh, you know, do, do what you know will work, right? If, if I've taken three tillage passes on this piece of land for the last 20 years, I'm going to keep doing that um, unless, because just the risks don't outweigh the rewards of, you know, experimenting when you, um, when you know something that works, right? And so if we can prove through the insights that we're gleaning, there's better ways to actually increase yield and they might involve, you know, fewer passes or less chemical application. Um, that would be just a tremendous win. Um, and then you look at the the technologies that autonomous unlocks the secondary effects of, you know, um, John Deere recently announced its uh, Sea and Spray Ultimate, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with this technology, but it uses computer vision to identify weeds in a field and selectively spray those weeds. Um, tremendous technology, and you see the evolution of where this is going. Um, yeah. There's there's I can even use that more in my possible. yard. Yeah, <laughs> but like these are these are sustainable practices, and then you recognize that hey, listen, like with the next next generation of these technologies it probably makes sense to go a little bit more slowly with the tractor um no human's yeah. going to do that that's more expensive but autonomous to the rescue if we can make sea and spray even more efficient more effective by going more slowly hey listen autonomous is there for that too um, and so there's these yeah. second order benefits of autonomous that help with sustainability as well yeah. yeah, if, if great, you need a, a test example. case, I've got a lot of English ivy in my backyard that I'm <laughs> not a fan of. <laughs> yeah. we, we can handle that. I'm kidding. You you guys have a lot bigger fish to, to fry there. <laughs> let's, let's get yeah, the no, autonomous a... 8R in your backyard and we'll, we'll go for it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great example, though, because uh, it's, it's, it's one where you would intentionally, yeah, where, one where you would intentionally slow the vehicle and yet not compromise productivity you know it's like the the environmental impact obviously would be huge but also just the the cost you know not having to spray entire fields you know just to get everything Um, but when you remove the human the time cost and i'm not talking about wage i'm literally just the hours to do an operation that that is removed as one of the constraints um, you start thinking about your operation a lot differently. How much time can you spend in the field? What's the optimal speed? How can we optimize for fuel efficiency rather than time to completion, for example? And those those um, calculations, the, the, you know, the weights there change um, when you, when autom- autonomous is enabling the operation. Is the um, type of connectivity setup you have now? Is it all um, uh, like f- uh, cellular uh, connectivity directly to the sensor or to the device? Yeah, today it is. Um, we have some really cool stuff in the pipeline. Um, to uh, you know, the, the future is an exciting place there. But yeah, today it's cellular. What's the um, uh, is, is is that done uh, by partnering with uh, specific carriers, or does it? Uh, do you sort of have like a you know kind of an open interface, and you just use whatever's available? Yeah. So I mean, once again, this is application specific, and it it okay. really sort of depend depends where you're at. Um, you know, even even um, you know, city to city and region to region, that can um, that can depend. And then the uh, you know the actual even medium for connectivity um, looks different in central Brazil than it does in Salinas, California. 
Yeah, I can imagine. I well, you know, that's interesting because the, the reason I was asking that is because you know, obviously, one of the bigger, um, you know, we cover you know global service providers, but one of the biggest um, kind of X factors in the race to cover uh, more people with uh, reasonably good broadband um, is the satellite companies, you know, and Leo satellites and stuff like that. And there are certain applications, and I would think, uh, you know, a certain amount of uh, uh, of uh, what you're doing would be covered or, or could be, could be potentially covered by satellite broadband. So I was just curious as to whether that was a, wh- whether that was something that, that you've made use of yet or, um, or, or if it's in the pipeline. No, I mean, it just comes back to the value we're delivering, right? We're uh, Bearflag specifically. And one of the, one of the most important, you know, cultural commonalities between Bearflag and Deer has been about delivering value. The technology is the coolest dang thing I've ever worked on in my life, right? Like this is this is the way that we want to, you know, that we would love to be solving this problem. But really, it's not that. It's about how can we deliver the value to the grower, and connectivity is part of that. Um, and so, getting creative about how we do that is just part of the part of the job. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there for now. Kelsey, did you have anything else? Did I step on anything? No, I'm just filling out this form online about my weeds. And I'm just- oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. She's getting right to work. <laughs> she hasn't heard a thing since since you said sand spray. She's just like like Help. tuned us out. Yeah, she's right on to right on to fixing the backyard. <laughs> okay, well, uh, uh, let's not prolong the pain. Let's go ahead and let her get to her English ivy, uh, oh, Mr. Caffiero. Uh, thanks so much for uh, uh, for joining us on the podcast today, Phil Kelsey. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.